Introducing your starting lineup for the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. He's a 5'10 forward out of Carleton University. Give it up for Bradford. back and now we're going to talk about the second round not going to lie we haven't done too much of a deep dive into the second round but there are still some players that can potentially be you know some steals here for some teams some good value in the second round I will say that in this draft class there's not a lot of drop-off between probably picks like 11 through 30 to 45 you're probably getting around the same talent level where guys are skilled in one particular aspect and have a lot of other holes in their game that need to plug in. So I guess um, I'll start out with my second round steal. I think um, this is a guy that could potentially go in this first round, but he's probably projected around 33 to 35. I just want to talk a little bit about Zeke Naji. He's a center from the University of Arizona. 6'11", 240, with a 7'1 wingspan. He's a little bit of a... He reminds me a little bit of Serge Ibaka, just uh, on the offensive end anyway, because he's just a hyper-athletic big that can shoot the mid-range jump shot. He's, his post-game is pretty strong for his age, and he's also just very comfortable operating as a pick-and-roll guy. He, I, I bring up the Serge Ibaka comparison because... In terms of his effort on the glass, he kind of reminds me of Serge when he was running wild in OKC. And he's just one of those guys that, again, we talk about motor. He's one of the guys in the draft that has the best motor in the class, in my opinion. He's, he's always going to show multiple effort on the glass, and you don't have to question his effort at all. But at the same time, this guy can't guard on the perimeter for crap right now. So he's going to have to get better at that for, for one thing. Number two, his playmaking is kind of iffy. Not even kind of. It's really iffy. He's not a great passer at all. So you can't really count on him to do that. And I think just in general, he needs to work on his defensive discipline because this this drives me nuts so many times. If you're a Raptors fan and you've watched a guy named Terrence Ross just continuously jump at pump fakes, that bothers me till this day. To this day. But... You know, defensive discipline is so key. He needs to, you know, just stay down instead of jumping at pumps. And most of his mistakes just have to do with his intangibles. And like I was saying, defensive discipline. So if he works that out, great. But, you know, I think he shows a lot of upside for where he's being projected right now. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a star. But if you're a team like Toronto who has questions at the center position, with Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol hitting free agency, 
I don't see why you don't take a, not even a flyer. He seems like a solid rotational player from day one. I don't see why you don't pick him in this, this late in the draft. I'll tell you why, John. Because they should take Xavier Tillman instead. Oh. Xavier Tillman, who's that? Never heard of him. Uh, junior, Michigan State. I think he's around 6'9", bit undersized, or 6'8", bit undersized for a center position. But maybe he doesn't have the ceiling that Zeke Najee does, but I just... Like like everyone else, I don't know all second round guys, but what I see of this guy is like he's got good feel, kind of knows the game, um, he's got some skills around the post, and uh, can shoot a little on the outside. At this point, I'm just gonna t- bet on the guy that just knows how to play the game, and like this is like it's not like a simple saying, but you know, just like he's just very good at it with like take out like all the physical measurables. He's like. And then a bit more Gasol than Ibaka, which is more like Najee's comparison. But, you know, maybe that's just my type. I like those guys that are smart and have good feel. Yeah, it it definitely sounds like you're going to get either one or the other, I guess. Um, I guess uh, Michael's got a second round uh, steal to talk about. So um, Uh, what do you got, Michael? Yeah, no, I think um, I actually kind of got... I guess one's a second round steal and one would be kind of an undrafted free agent potential to watch for kind of like a, you know, the band store from last year. Um, You know, I think this Leandro Balmero from Barcelona, Argentinian forward from Barcelona, Argentinian player from Barcelona, he more, I guess he would more classify kind of like Pochlevsky kind of more of a late first rounder, but, you know, I could kind of see him slipping kind of to the second round in terms of, this is a guy that's, you know, I think, got a good amount of skill level, got a good amount of kind of, you know, potential as well in terms of, you know, plays at Barcelona. I think another kind of, you know, whoever, like Pajewski, kind of whoever drafts him, it could be a drafted stash guy for a couple of years. Um, you know, he's just kind of really starting to get more and more minutes at Barcelona playing in, you know, the Liga ACB, which the Spanish league, which is from domestic league's point of view in Europe is probably the best domestic league. And then they also play in the Euro league as well. Um, so, you know, he's got like, you know, teammates like Nicola Miritich, Alex Sabrinas, um, you know, to learn from and stuff like that. Um, so I think he can definitely kind of be an intriguing pick. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, as a Raptors fan, it'd be interesting, you know, if, if it, if they need to kind of move up four or five spots to go get him, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, but then, you know, I think about, you know, a team like the Boston Celtics, once again, they're going to be that team with that 27 and 30th overall picks that's going to be linked to some of those European players, just because if they can't trade those picks to move up and you're stuck with them, you know, maybe they'll feel it's better just to draft, you know, a foreign player um, just because they can draft and stash them for a couple of years. Um, although they could go for, you know, you know, they could do that and they could put their um, players in, you know, down in Maine in the G League, which, you know, Maine's a, you know, solid G League team, a lot of Canadian connections from coaching point, from coaching there as well. Scott Morris and Patrick Tatum, who's the head coach at McMaster. Yeah. Um, and I think from a Canadian point of view, because I think this is kind of a quiet Canadian draft, although next year should be better for the Canadians um, in terms of getting a few first rounders in there. Uh, Kareem Monik, who I think, yes. you know, you guys mentioned at the start. Um, yes. Yeah, no, I think, you know, obviously the, the kind of lazy comparison would be Lugens Dort, but that being said, I think this is kind of a different case. It's more of a long game, I think, with Kareem Monik and Lugens Dort, because Lugens Dort last year, I remember watching it like 
Like there's six Canadians pick. And quite frankly, I didn't think Iggy Brzezikas and, you know, Ottawa's own Maria Shayok would get picked over him. Um, even if you're talking about kind of Canadians wise, you know, I thought Lugensdorf was a, a late first rounder, early second rounder. But I'm guessing probably what happened was the fact that he probably got to the second round and, you know, he probably, you know, OKC probably got in contact with him and he probably, you know, this happens like, you know, he'll just, sometimes players will just tell teams if they drop to the second round, they'll just tell teams, hey, don't bother drafting me. I'm going to go sign with, you know, this team instead afterwards because, you know, and, you know, good, good for him, although good for him in terms of finding that success, although he probably should rehire his agent after that um, pretty bad contract that, you know, he signed with it. 4.4 million for four years of a team option. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not looking too good. Pretty bad. Um, yeah, it's pretty low ball. Um, Should have signed with the Raptors. I was, I was yeah. clamoring for the Raptors to get in. No, but yeah, but I think with Kareem Mane, I mean, I think, you know, Isaiah Mike, another, you know, player from SMU, he's going to, you know, play a year in Germany, which I think could be good. But we just think, you know, if the Raptors, because they do have that 59th overall pick. What I would say is like that, like, you know, take a player like unless you're like if you're certain you can sign them afterwards i wouldn't draft them at 59 overall um but if you're not certain that you can sign them draft them then um and so you know cream money i think would be interesting because you know he does play for you know vanier college in the um rsec i guess which is you know the college system in quebec um which would be you know quite an accomplishment for you know canadian college sports you know to get a player you know drafted in the NBA or signed by an NBA team, you know, right afterwards. Um, so I think that's kind of a name, I think, from a Canadian point of view to watch out for. Um, overall, you know, Marcus Carr, other Canadians, like it's not a great Canadian draft, but I think some of these guys, you could definitely see like, you know, give, give them a few years and they could definitely kind of be good, like NBA rotational players, you know, after some development. Um, and, you know, that's what I kind of see with Kareem Money. Obviously, he doesn't have kind of the, you know, the strength that, you know, Lugan Storr has. You know, Lugan Storr is just like, you know, built like a middle linebacker pretty much. Yeah. I think that, you know, the joke running around Twitter is the fact that, you know, they said, oh, Lugan Storr, he could be good at any sport he plays. Look at that guy's body, you know. Um, but no, I mean, from Canadian point of view, I mean, I mean, I'm interested to see kind of, you know, for these Canadians, you know, what NBA teams they sign with, you know, after the draft if they don't get drafted. I am rooting for Kareem Money to be drafted by the Raptors. I just feel like this is the type of guy you want to draft and you know, again, we talked about the stigma of the G League, but honestly, that's the best playing ground for you to develop your game as a young player, especially with Kareem. You know, he still has some things he needs to work out. You know, he represented, uh, I, I believe it was in FIBA Canada for, um, I think it was U18. He made an appearance there. But aside from that, he hasn't really played too much high-level basketball yet. Um, and that's no disrespect to the uh, leagues in there in Quebec. But it's not the NCAA. It's not the Euro League, as like some other prospects we've talked about. But yeah, you just want him to be in an environment where he can play. And I also, you know, not getting too ahead of myself, but the Raptors selection, they need to pick someone that they're going to fucking play, man. I don't want another DeAndre Daniels. I, I don't want them just picking a pick and nothing happens. Okay. The, the, the jury's still out on Dewan Hernandez because he was hurt. In the you know the little bits we saw from him, he looked kind of promising. But regardless, I just want someone that can play and will play either in the in the G League or come on, just like anywhere, fifteenth stringer. I don't care. Just get get him on the court. But uh, that's my two cents anyway. Uh, Grant, you've got a second round steal as well. How about we talk about that? Well, let me just start by saying, and there goes me being Stephen A. Smith there for a second. But let me start saying that. 
recently and especially even in the last 10 years, I've noticed that there's a small trend of short-sized guards who were very productive for several years in college. They stayed for mostly three or four years and they fell the second round and they wound up taking some years to develop and they became impact guys. And the big thing on them was it was their size. Fred Van Vliet from Wichita State is the obvious one. That's what everybody talks about. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas, people forget about him sometimes because he kind of fell off the cliff, but people forget that he took a while to develop and then he became the player in Boston. Frank Mason III, if you remember him coming out of Kansas, he was absolutely amazing in college. Sacramento, Milwaukee, he's been hot and cold, so he's still got time. And then Carson Edwards at Purdue last year, who I thought was going to be an amazing talent, especially watching him in the March Madness tournament. I'm a little pissed off he went to Boston, if I'm not be honest. I'm a little ticked off that how Boston is using him, not playing him. But I think he's a guy that can be an impact player within the next two years or so maybe three. But the point I'm getting to is that you're seeing these trends with small guys with the size and they have these intangibles that make up for it. And I think Cassius Winston from Michigan State is a guy in the second round that could turn out to be something. And if you kind of see where I'm going with this, that his comparison is Kyle Lowry. Maybe that's the homeboy, me, the Toronto Raptors fan, you know, making that comparison. But there's a lot of other guys that see a comparison with Winston too. And watching his tape, you can just see he's the outright leader of that team. He was there for four years. He was a senior. And his size, he's 6'1", he's 185. So that's an acronym, right? You know, like his size is going to be the reason that he falls the second round. Maybe he falls undrafted. Who knows what these teams go for nowadays? Maybe Van Vliet really did turn that uh, perspective around. But he's got the numbers to show. You know, he averaged over 18 points a game. He shot 44% from field goal. He's a great three-throw um free throw or not free throw uh shooter from beyond the arc too i believe last year he was one of the better three-point shooters in college and you know he was efficient too like he made the most of all the attempts he did and the thing too is that what's going to make winston a valuable player in the nba whatever team is that he has the intangibles you look for he has that playing experience which a lot of these guys who are going to go top 10 they don't a lot of them are going off pure potential and just one season this guy Liddy has three, four years of productivity in Michigan State, a great team, but Winston did have to be the playmaker of that team. You know, Do they make it far if he is not the guy with the ball in hands? That is the question. He was the guy in that team where Coach Izzo was very comfortable with him having the ball in his hands and making plays. We were talking about um, Xavier Tillman, right? He was on Michigan State too. Uh, Winston was kind of that architect of the offense that got that Michigan State team going. And the one thing I see, too, is that he comes to play when the games matter most. And I did some deep, some deep diving. If you remember in 2019, in the Elite Eight, it was Michigan State and Duke. If you remember that Duke team, it was insane. It had a Zion, RJ, Cam Reddish, Trey Jones, who is going to be another great player in this draft if we can get to talk to you. But that was an insane team. They were supposed to win it all. Number one seed. And Michigan State upset them. And in that game... Cassie's had a double-double, 20 points, 10 rebounds. So that shows you that he comes to play when it matters. And the reason why that's important is because if you're going to be compared to Kyle Lowry, that is exactly what you think of. He comes to play big. When he came to the NBA, it took him, like, many years to even become the player he did. He had to get traded to Toronto, and he still wasn't even the player that he became when he first got there. And I think it's going to be like that with Winston, too, that – 
Um, he may not even be a bench player. He is probably going to be in the G League. He's going to take a couple of years to develop. And I think maybe in three or four years, he takes that same path that Van Vliet did. And that once he's able to improve his overall game and you mix the intangibles in there, he could be a player that stays in this league for a very long time, not just because of his skill, but because everything else that he has with his leadership, his intangibles, and his heart. Yeah, I like it. It's something about our short guys that just we, we're willing to bring it on the court no matter what. I don't know what it is. Like, you know, maybe it's just because when you're, like, super tall, you just get comfortable. Things come easy to you. When you're just that gifted, it's whatever. But you can count on these short guys. You know, I'm a, I'm a rep for the short gang, short yeah, kings. Yeah, he, he can't play defense. I forgot to say that. He can't play defense <laughs> oh. at all. Like, <laughs> oh. if you're looking at the reason why he's dropping the second round, yeah. like, I hate to say it, but, yeah. you know, he's wow. really got to work on his defense. But Damn. he gets that going, then. Oh. Man, I, 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 no, I think, I think with, um, you know, to kind of build off your point, Grant, I think with both Cassius Winston, I think, um, I think in terms of what would kind of be a good career for him, or at least to kind of start off with, would be a DJ August, the Augustine kind of career. Um, in terms of, you know, kind of, you know, another guy who, you know, Raptor fans have maybe not so great memories of in game yeah. one last year. Um, in terms of, you know, you know, can be, you know, has that kind of toughness, has that kind of intangible about kind of going about him. And he's had a, you know, a pretty productive career in a lot of different teams. Um, and I think for Cassius, I think, you know, we always talk about, you know, especially when it comes to top 10 picks, talk about, you know, potential, potential, potential in terms of that. But I think with Cassius, it's like, you know, that's as high of a floor as you'll find for any player, especially in the second round, in terms of, you know, the certainty about kind of what he brings in terms of, and, you know, I think, the, you know, there's still kind of, there still can be some development. Um, you know, obviously the age can be kind of a knock, um, but I think, you know, there can still be that development. I think there's still something to be said, you know, especially if you're kind of, you know, a team in the second round or whatever, maybe a contender that can draft more off of need in a sense um, and say, you know, maybe we just need, you know, a good, you know, player that can come in as a backup point guard, eventually maybe work his way to starter. Um, you know, that could be definitely a good fit for them. And I think, just as I think, I thought, I don't know if you guys saw, like, the ESPN that I had on their homepage, I think, two days ago, they had, like, because they have a lot of stuff unlocked under, like, the ESPN Plus um, thing, but they unlocked this, like, draft primer or whatever, where the, you know, the analysts gave, like, their best things. And, you know, he went, he was at number 24 to okay, Oklahoma City, which I thought was a little bit surprising. Um, but I definitely tell in terms of, you know, if there's some team late in the first round, even, you know, if they really kind of feel like, you know, he fits a need kind of right away, or he can kind of, you know, we believe in terms of, you know, even if even with some development in terms of, you know, in one to two years time, he can be that solid backup point guard for us and then move from there. Um, I could see a team even in the first round kind of taking a flyer on him, you know, um, but I think definitely, you know, he's one of those guys given, you know, what you say, Grant, about, you know, when you have a productive college career, like, you know, Carson Edwards did, you know, even like, you know, a Shabazz, Shabazz Napier was great at UConn. Yeah. He's had a pretty good, you know, he's a, you know, he has been a star, but he's had a pretty like solid career, you know, in the NBA, still in the NBA. Um, that's the kind of comp I could look for and then, you know, get to that role and then kind of, you know, develop from there. Yeah. So long story short, rep for the short Kings, we're going to take over the NBA and in 20 years, there won't be a player in the league that's elite that's seven feet tall. Every all the players are gonna be running around six foot with like all these crazy skills. Man, I need what you're I need what you're drinking, John. I need some of that stuff in my life. <laughs> yeah, man. So, sometimes you just gotta bring it. And that's what I do. I bring it every single day. 
So, um, yeah, anyways, again, uh, just now we're going to talk a little bit about our draft day predictions because, um, you know, th- this draft, it's so crazy. Like, we we literally heard, like, the other week that LaMelo was sliding down, like, draft boards across the league. And then next thing you know, we hear reports that, oh, Minnesota is interested in getting LaMelo at the first pick. Uh, so there's all this, like, uncertainty with the draft. But I want to hear your guys', I guess, predictions on what could potentially happen in this draft. Like, I'll just go over mine real quick. But I actually have a couple teams trading into the top five. So I look at some teams, like, for example, Boston has three first-rounders. They might want to move those picks to try to move up. But, you know, granted, in a draft like this, if you got a high selection already, why would you take three draft picks lower to, you know, select other players? But then again, like I was saying earlier, it's a draft class where the talent drop-off doesn't really happen from, like, 10 to 30. So maybe it could make sense for a team that's looking to get younger. But I really look at teams like New York if they don't make a move for Westbrook, if they don't make a move for Chris Paul or a Drew Holiday or even a Victor Oladipo, they're going to want to add a guard. So maybe they're going to move into the top five to potentially select Elamelo or Anthony Edwards if they're available. And I also just think that the Warriors and Timberwolves, they're, and maybe even the Hornets, they're just looking to potentially get a lower pick in order to draft a player that can help them contribute now or is a better positional fit. You know, we didn't get really to talk about Tyrese Halliburton, but I think he's one of the top prospects in this draft because he's so NBA ready. I mean, just from the stuff I've seen from him, he looks like what everyone was predicting Lonzo Ball to be out, out of the draft. You know, a good shooter, good passer, good defender. He reminds me a little bit of a Malcolm Brogdon type of player. And I think a team like the Warriors, they would love to get a player like that to complement, you know, their their Splash Bros backcourt and have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson off ball. That would be beautiful basketball to watch. And, yeah, I, I just think that regardless, there's there's going to be a lot of trades. And I think we could potentially see a lot of movement there in the top five. And just real quick, my last sort of prediction for this draft class I think when we get back to this class five, 10 years down the line, we're going to look and see that the best player in this draft class was not drafted in the top 14 in the lottery. I think I'm not going to say Alexei Pokachevsky is going to be the best player in this draft, but there's a good chance that a player we haven't even talked about today or, you know, even heard of till now could potentially end up the best player in this draft. And I really do think that, this draft is not a repeat, but almost similar to Giannis's draft. I believe that was like 2015 or 13. I'm, I'm getting lost in all the years now in quarantine time. But yeah, that, I just think that there's a player somewhere, you know, like a Nikola Jokic that comes out of nowhere or a Jimmy Butler that's selected in the last pick of the first round that just ends up being a star. Or, you know, even Pascal Siakam, he was selected with a 27th pick. We didn't think he was going to be a, the star that he is now. But looking back, mm. he's probably a top three player in his draft class if you were to redraft his draft. So, yeah, that, that's my two cents. Um, yeah, I wanted to go off one of your points that you made. Um, 
I definitely think the Warriors are trading that pick. Um, I see the Warriors like I think they're they realize that they are a contender with if you have a Steph Curry, Clay Thompson backcourt, um, who assuming they're healthy, of course. Uh Andrew Wiggins, now I could see a position where they package Wiggins and that pick to get a player of the contract, but with value, <laughs> not to undervalue Wiggins' talent, but um, I don't know. I think that they, they really want to go for another run, and I could definitely see them, um, I mean, depending on what the Clippers and the Lakers do in the, the offseason, the Warriors are definitely a contender from the, of the West, so um, I could definitely see them pick, uh, train that pick. Yeah, and I guess, um, Jeff, like, who do you think? Who do you think the Warriors would trade for? That's the hard one. I, I do not know. I have no idea. Um, I just don't think that, like, like we see from one of the some of the draft stuff that I've been reading. Um, they, they've talked about Wiseman that being that pick for them, but. Like we've talked about with Wiseman earlier, like I the Chris Bosh Chris Bosh comparison is uh, I think a very accurate portrayal of his his type of play, um, but I just think that they're in a winning now position, so they definitely want to get like I'd say like a three, um, a three and D guy. Um, mm. I don't know who that player would be though. I don't know. I I think like on the contrary, I think the Warriors are looking for a creator, just because. When you see them play in the playoffs without Kevin Durant, you know, their offense, it runs so smooth most of the time. But when a team really knows how to lock down on Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, there's not much left. And that's the reason why they went out and got Kevin Durant. And obviously, there's not a player that they can, you know, they can't require a player of like, you know, Kevin Durant's caliber or they, they, I don't even think they can make a move for Giannis like realistically, even if they package the second overall pick, some future picks, Andrew Wiggins, it just doesn't make sense to me logistically if you're Milwaukee anyways. And yeah, like they, they need a player that's just going to be a creator for them. So they need someone that can score off the dribble a little bit, play make to me, Halliburton's that guy, but I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are not think picking him that high. The, the, that's why they're going to trade down. They're probably going to, I could see them trade down to, maybe around like six or eight and, you know, get some second rounders for that compensation as well. Mm, no, second rounders. Second rounders have value, man. I mean, well, but, but they're, they, they're the championship. They, they're, they want to win another championship. They, I feel like they should go for a championship run. With that pick. Well, if you think about the stars that are available right now, Westbrook, yeah. no, Oladipo, I mean, he's a question mark. We don't really know if he's going to be his all-star self. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count against it. But at the same time, you know, he did just say today that he's committed to Indiana, so we don't know about that. Drew Holiday. I know a lot of teams are interested in Drew Holiday. I know Boston is one of them. So maybe. What about Paul George? Just throwing it out there. Paul George to the Golden State. Yeah. Man, if they want to get some uh, PG thirteen percent up in there, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, one one potential trade target. I don't know if the team they would trade for would be willing to do this. Bradley Beal, maybe. Oh, I've heard that too. I've heard that. and 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 some other teams as well. You know, 
Dallas could possibly, you know, look for a trade as well. But I mean, I just don't know if the Wizards would do it. Um, yeah. That's the thing. Like, you know, there's still, you know, they still got John Wall, you know, coming back, supposedly coming back. And I imagine they kind of want to give that a go before, you know, they move on from, you know, Bradley Beal just yet. Yeah. John Wall hasn't played basketball for a while. I feel like the last time we saw him on court was like two or three years ago. It feels like a long time. Oh, geez. It's been a while. My break projection is Drew Holiday gets traded on draft night. Mm. Where? I don't know. All I know is that he gets traded. Yeah, it definitely seems that way because New Orleans, it looks like they're trying to go towards a youth movement. I mean, yeah. if they're really trying to win now, then I don't understand why you trade Drew Holiday. So it looks like they're trying to get some assets uh, in exchange for him. And I do know he has a player option at the end of his deal. So they might be trying to also jockey for cap space in the upcoming years. So that could be a factor too into why they're so active in shopping a guy like Drew Holiday. What would you think about Drew Holiday going to a team like the Phoenix Suns maybe? You know, a team that's ready to compete now. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's good. Mm. I don't want to go to the Celtics because I hate the Celtics. Oh, yeah. I also don't understand why the Celtics are so, um, I guess, hung up on Drew Holiday because they have a lot of guards. No, they do, yeah. Yeah, Marcus Smart? Yeah, Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier. Sorry, Terry Rozier's gone. I'm I'm still in 2018. (laughs) Gosh, it feels like forever since I've been outside. Anyways, uh, yeah, you know, they have a lot of guards, you know. So I don't understand how that really fits into their team. And we saw that they tried to go like really small last season because um, Daniel Tice isn't the biggest center. It worked out against some teams, like unfortunately the Raptors. But it also just went to show when there was a team that was a little more defensively versatile than them yeah. when they matched up with Miami. It just went all to shit. So if, if, if I'm the Celtics, I'm trying to get not bigger, but a little bit stronger, a little bit faster. And, you know, Drew Holiday, he, I don't think he really fits the bill in Boston. But I love his fit on, on a team like Phoenix just because, you know, you have Devin Booker in the backcourt. He's not the greatest defender. But if you, had, if you add Drew Holiday to, uh, to this Phoenix team that was so good in the bubble, let's not forget they were 8-0 in their uh, bubble games. You know, maybe maybe it's a recipe for success in in the Valley of the Suns. Yeah, I think from um, Boston point of view, in terms of what they trade for, I mean, I've heard you know them trading for Onyeka. Um, ah, I like you know, that. potentially because they do need that big. The yeah. question is just in terms of I just think with like the yeah, as I mentioned before, like given their roster squeeze in terms of the amount of players they have coming under contract next season already, they don't have time. They don't have enough room to put three rookies in the lineup next season, plus all the people that the all the rookies from last season as well. So I think it's just like, they can talk about, we have 17, 27 and 30, but the team will look like, we'll say, well, yeah, but you kind of feel like you need to trade those picks. So that's not that valuable anyways. So I just don't know if they can kind of move up enough to kind of get Onyeka at, you know, that five to 10, you know, range or so. Um, that's the thing. Like, I, mean, I think they'd be happy if they could get him, but I just think like those three picks, given the fact that they're kind of later round picks and also given the fact that they don't really have the leverage because teams will know that, Boston will be kind of maybe looking to trade those picks because of the roster squeeze. Like, I don't know what they can get in a trade wise. Mm, yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be tough for Boston, but 
I have no sympathy for Boston after what they did to us in the playoffs. So no. all the misery on Boston Celtics fans, Red Sox fans, you guys can all catch the smoke. I don't care. Bruins too. Bruins yeah. too. Oh man, don't yeah. even get started on the Bruins, man. You're gonna break <laughs> a lot of Maple Leaf fans' hearts. A little too much heartbreak there. That was that was a little bit below the belt, Jeff. But um, yeah. I'm a Leafs fan though. The Celtics got no, three. No, picks. I'm okay with that. You can you can slide your lace all you want. Yeah, I mean the Celtics got three picks, but Grant's got two in terms of his uh, hot takes for the NBA draft here. Oh, so, uh, Ooh, good segue, John. Throw them at us, Greg. Throw them at us. Well done, John. All right, yeah. So, so I have two takes here. I'm going to go with my spicy draft day prediction first, and I'm going to say that when all is said and done in this draft 10 years down the line, I think Cole Anthony from North Carolina turns out to be the best player in this draft. Wow. And I know we didn't have time to talk about it. Yes. And the only reason I say that is because when I see Cole Anthony, I'm, I get shades of Trey Young when I see him. David's losing his mind. This is why it's a spicy take. But this is, this is the way I see it with Cole Anthony because the way I see some mock drafts going, and this is the way the mock draft for the score has it going, they have Cole Anthony going to Phoenix. And I can kind of see that because we were talking about maybe Drew Holiday you know, ideal fit where if he had to go to another team, it might be Phoenix because they need a point guard. And I could see Cole Anthony going there too because the thing on Anthony is that he is a, he's a true scorer. He is one of the, the best scorers in this draft potentially. And I think he's one of the best ball handlers too. And he's got the same passing ability, maybe not as good as Lamelo, but it's up there. He can make plays. And the thing with Anthony too is that he played for – North Carolina team that got devastated by injuries and he kind of had to uh, put a lot of the weight on his shoulders throughout the season. I see if Phoenix gets him, pairs him with Devin Booker. Booker is the shooting guard and you put Anthony at the point guard. I could see Anthony and Booker absolutely devastating the league. I see two potential scorers and the thing with Anthony too is that he's coming off a big meniscus injury and he's dealt with some ankle injuries in high school which we know that when those injuries come up, especially ankle, lower body, that they can devastate careers for a lot of these guys. But I think if he can stay healthy and, you know, he does what he did in North Carolina, I think he could turn out to be a very potent scorer and a very dangerous player. And then – oh, sorry, Michael. Oh, I was going to ask, um, like, what, do you, what would you th- see as his ceiling, I guess? His ceiling? Um, Steph Curry with a 40-inch vertical. I was man. I thought Steph, but I'm not going to do Steph that way. I really think Trey Young. I think Trey Young is his ceiling. The way that Anthony plays and the way he handles the ball and just the way he shoots because he really has that that thinking, kind of like Lamelo, that he can just shoot from wherever and he has that confidence when he's got that hot hand, he can make it from whenever. And that's the reason why he's probably going to fall out of the top ten, maybe the top fifteen because of injuries. But that's the thing on him. And then my other take I have, and I call this the hundred percenter take because. If, I, if this take isn't true, I will literally give up my degree that I worked four year, hard years for. Whoa, boy. Whoa. Here's the take. And maybe I'm, beating a, maybe I'm beating around the bush. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse with this one. But there's going to be a prospect that gets drafted who is shown wearing a different hat than the team he actually is going to. And this happens every year. I don't know why it does. And it kind of is a pet peeve of mine. I don't understand why it happens. I don't know why they just don't do it like other leagues. Maybe it's because I grew up 
you know, would help basketball. Maybe it's because I grew, you know, in the NHL and the NFL, you know, like they make the trade and then, you know, the player wears the have the team. It's just kind of weird how they were like, it was kind of like Young and Doncic, right? When they got drafted, yeah. like Doncic was wearing Atlanta and then Young was wearing Dallas. And then we already knew that they were going to the other team beforehand. I don't know. I just kind of find it funny that like it always happens every year and I, I don't get it. I was going to yeah. bring up the Doncic, uh, Trey Young thing too. I'll just say this. They do that for the teams that are, or not the teams, but the fans that are going to look back at the draft 20, 30 years from now. They'd be like, what the fuck? We had Luka Doncic and we traded him away for <laughs> Trey Young. What are we doing? It's pretty funny. He's in our hats. It's pretty like, funny. I'm not going to lie. I think that's the reason why they do it. And other, other things I can think of, um, Vince Carter. The, like those examples. Vince Carter, yeah. Yeah. He, was, he had the Golden State hat and Who? Antoine Jameson. Who was the player that got traded from Philly to Phoenix after they got drafted? But they oh, were yeah. drafted in the his, Phoenix his hat mom, and his mom worked with yeah. them. His mom with worked Mikhail for Philadelphia. Bridges, yeah, yeah McCall Bridges, uh, yeah. Yeah, Bridges, yeah. Yeah, Mikhail Bridges. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is perfect dream come true. Five minutes later, <laughs> and he's traded to Phoenix. <laughs> Yeah. That's hilarious. That that was they, so they, they they interviewed his mom like on national TV right after he got drafted. Then you yeah. saw, she was so happy, and then you know five minutes later, Bye. you have to imagine Phoenix's front office is like, wait, wait, cut the interview, cut the interview. And then Philadelphia's uh, front office is like, huh, we already traded him away. That's hilarious. So yeah, to answer your question, Grant, I have no clue why they do that, but. I can only imagine it's to fuel the hatred and despair for some fans that, you know, get the short end of the stick in a trade. Uh, well, I got my degree reason. on this take, so I hope it's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to have to figure something out if it doesn't happen, yeah. Grant. I mean, um, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't want you to give up your degree because that costs you so much time and money. But oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Let's not get into that, man. Oh. Yeah. I, think I think you made a pretty safe bet. That, that happened 99.9% of the time. Yeah. No, I think, um, I guess for my prediction, I don't have a prediction, but I think, I guess, this is kind of one player, I think, I'm just kind of surprised we haven't mentioned him yet, um, Denny Avia, um, ah, you know, number Denny. four. I think, I think he could go to the, he'll either go four or five, I think, in the draft. I, I think the Bulls yeah. might take him. If they, if they don't move up for, you know, LaMelo or, or you know, um, Anthony Edwards or whatever, I think, you know, they'd be pretty comfortable taking him at four if he's there. But I'm curious in terms of, for all of you guys, like, like, what are your thoughts on him? Because he's one of those kind of rare players that, you know, when everything was shut down because of COVID and the college players couldn't play, you know, he was still, you know, playing, he was starting to play more and more minutes, you know, in the, um, in the Israeli league. Um, yeah. So. He, he's also got experience in the Euro league. Um, I've actually done a lot of, all, of. First of all, first of all, hold on, John. John got to ask a question to him. Yeah. I was going to say that I was, I was, I was leading <laughs> up to it, but I was also in his uh, draft scrum for uh, Denny. And, man, there's some high-profile guys there, like uh, Sam Smith of the Chicago Tribune, for example. You may have seen him on The Last Dance. He's covered the Bulls for a long time. He was there. But, yeah, Denny, I, I've done a lot of homework on him too. I just think that the, the biggest question mark is always going to be his jump shot. Like, for whatever reason, his form is just really inconsistent. You know, I watched one b-ball breakdown video and now apparently I'm an expert on energy transfer, whatever that means, but he doesn't do it well. And um, all jokes aside, I think he can be a good player. I, I don't expect him to be a Luka Doncic. And he said himself 
in, in that scrum that he's not looking to be Luka Doncic. The thing that impressed me the most is that when he was f- facing all these questions, because obviously he's a European guy, the media is going to throw these questions at him. He just said, I just want to be the best Denny Avia I can be. And I think that's honestly a mentality you should have in just in general. You shouldn't always like compare yourself to others. Just try to be the best version of yourself. So he's focused on that's doing it. that. And I mean, yeah, low-key life advice on a basketball podcast. Yeah. That's what you get sometimes. But re- regardless, I think he'll be a good fit in a team like Chicago. And there's obviously the interest there. I've seen him uh, also potentially, like he could potentially work out with the Warriors. Although his playmaking is really going to be put to the test if he's on a team like Golden State. Because, you know, they're, they're really going to just depend on him to make passes and be a facilitator which he didn't really get the chance to be a number one facilitator on Maccabi last year, last season. And he hasn't really shown the ability to be like a number one guy either. So, you know, the Luka Doncic comparison that's out the window, I think he compares a little bit more to, he reminds me a little bit of Lamar Odom without a jump shot. He's a little bit of a tweener. We don't know if he's a power forward or small forward. And I've also, you know, people always bring up the stereotypical, um, comparisons like Tony Kukoc I, I I just don't I'm not a big fan yeah. of those comparisons like yeah. people need to be a little more creative there but no exactly I mean I think in terms of seeing the stereotypical lazy comparisons um you know Danilo Gallinari maybe would he still like still needs to work like I guess Denny still needs to work on shooting kind of be more like Gallinari in yeah. a sense but I mean like again that's kind of lazy comparison even with like the I mean just with the Lucas stuff it's like you know, I, I I was kind of annoyed by the all like kind of the criticism about Luca kind of coming out of the draft. Yeah, and it was just it was more about kind of I think a fundamental. You even had like Mike Greenberg on like get up saying like oh I wouldn't take a European player in the lottery blah 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 blah. Right. And it's like this is the thing like listen Luca's like he surprised even me with his kind of ceiling and stuff. But I was just saying like like comparing him to Darko Milicic is like night and day. Like Darko Milicic was a boomer bust prospect that barely got any time sitting on the bench of a, in, in Europe, basically. Yeah. Uh, Mario Fazonia barely got playing time at Barcelona when he was drafted. Um, Luka Doncic, you know, is the best player in, you know, the second best league in the world. Yeah. The best player, arguably, outside the NBA. So, I mean, I don't know how you can kind of make that comparison to say, well, these European players were busts and they didn't play anything. So, Luka Doncic is the bust. You know, Luka Doncic, my question was around kind of his, his ceiling, but, you know, his floor is always, you know, going to be extremely high. Yeah, he was. A he, he did that as a teenager. He's like, come on, that's yeah, crazy. Exactly. And I mean, like, look, okay, like, this is kind of my hot take on Luka Doncic, and you guys can roast me for this. Um, if you just if you forget about like length of career and stuff, if you just looked at kind of blind resume in terms of his accomplishments and stuff, if Luka Doncic, you know, God forbid, you know, re- got injured or whatever, retired tomorrow, Luka Doncic would be a Hall basketball Hall of Famer. Nuts, not hot at all. I'm 100% behind you. Okay, uh, I'll just say this. Clear time, clearly, to go. I was a no. prisoner of the moment when he hit his game winner okay. over yeah, the Clippers. Are. I was a big prisoner of the moment, but I did say this literally as he hit that shot. At his age, which is what, he's like 20, 21, something like that. At this age, of his, at this point of his career, he's already better than Michael Jordan was. Yeah. I don't no, think I that's hot at all. Bro. No, exactly. I think, no, I was going to say, like, okay, my thing, with, my, my, thing, no, my, my thing about the Hall of Fame is this. Listen, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, right? 
Like if you look at Luka Doncic's resume, at least like internationally, European yeah. wise, like you know he won a Euro Cup, Euro Basket of Slovenia. You know he's won every trophy imaginable, individual or team at the European club level. You know he's become an NBA Rookie of the Year, and you know he's played relatively well. You know played pretty well in the NBA. My point is the fact that if you look at just resume wise, there are players in Europe that have played 15 years and haven't accomplished what Luca has. And yet they're in, they're, they're in the hall of fame. You know, there's players, mm-hmm. you know, you can make the hall of fame about playing in the NBA. It's the basketball hall of fame, not the NBA hall of fame. Yeah. Luca's like European and inter- European and international resume enough is enough to kind of warrant him into the hall of fame. And then to add on top of that, his two seasons in the NBA improving it there, you know, if Luca Doncic, you know, if this was like a Drazen Petrovic case and, you know, he passed away in a car crash, you know, not, not, you know, not obviously not hoping that happen, but stuff, but if something tragic like that was to happen, just in terms of, if you look at kind of the resume and the litany of kind of accomplishments of, you know, most valuable player in the Spanish league, playoff MVP, the Spanish league, EuroLeague MVP, EuroLeague playoff MVP, rising star MVP, you know, European, you know, European championship, um, you know, for Slovenia, um, you know, all that, you know, regardless of age, like, that's a, that's a Hall of Fame resume if you look at kind of anyone else in kind of the Basketball Hall of Fame from a European point of view. 100%. And I think, too, he's just been the best player we've ever seen at, like, every age he's been in, like, since he started playing professional basketball. I, I think, really, he was the best prospect we've ever seen come into the draft, the most accomplished player we've ever seen in, come into the draft. And this is not even me, like, hyping up Luca or anything, but a lot of people say this too. I really do think he can go down as the GOAT if he gets the right accomplishments. You know, if he wins a championship next year, it's it's going to be a, a bumpy, not a bumpy ride, but it's going to be a really interesting, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what people say. I think the GOAT conversation would start coming up if he won a championship next year. And yeah, like like Michael was saying, he, I think too, I wasn't necessarily surprised in his rookie year because I just thought, well, if he's the best player in the second best league in the world and he's winning, you know, MVPs and championships in Europe at this age, he's probably going to do pretty well in the NBA. But I think really what separated him was the leap he took this year. Just like statistically, you know, he's putting up numbers we like rarely see from a sophomore player. And you just wonder what his trajectory is going to be like three, four years down the line. Like, how much better can Luka Doncic get, you know, statistically? Can he, does he have a defensive ceiling? He probably does. But, fuck, man. He might be averaging a 40-point triple-double one day. Who knows? That's not hyperbole. I, I don't think. I wouldn't think. But it seems like Grant doesn't like my Michael Jordan take. I, I would say when all is said and done, I think he becomes – he moves into the top 10 all time. I think when he's done, I think I'm very comfortable saying if he stays on this path that he's already taken, and he doesn't have any major injuries and there's no bumps in the road. I think he ends up as a top 10 player of all time. Will I say he's over Jordan? That's a little ambitious, but yeah. I think his first path yeah. is to become a better player than Dirk Nowitzki was for Dallas. I only say that mm. because um, when Michael Jordan was 21, he was still in college. You know, I mean, he did hit that big shot in, in UNC in the championship game, but just the way Luka's dominating, like, NBA-level competition at his age, I really think, like, the only other players I can think of that did that at a young age were probably LeBron James, 
you know, Kobe Bryant at 21, off the top of my head, I can't remember how good he was, but I don't think he was as good as Luka is right now. That's why I'm saying just at this age, at the age he was this season, I think he was already better than Michael Jordan. But I'm not saying he's better, going to be better than him all time. He has the potential to, but, you know, again, I'm pretty biased because I'm a big Luka fan. And I like to say that I was supporting him since the draft because when I saw, like, DeAndre Aiden go first and then Marvin Bagley go second, I was like, man, these teams Mm. are making a mistake. Can you imagine Luka Doncic next to, like, Devin Booker? Even in Sacramento, he'd be chopping it up. We'd be talking about Sacramento again as a marquee basketball, you know, market. The fans would be coming back to the arenas. I mean, pre-COVID anyway. And yeah, Atlanta, they had him and then they traded him. He was in the hat and then it didn't happen. So, I mean, yeah, the, anyways, we, we've gone a, l- a little too long on our Luka Doncic rant, but I, I love to talk me some Luka Doncic any day <laughs> of the week. So... I guess does does anyone else got some like hot takes for the draft here before we wrap things up? Except for no, me, I gave I've my rant. my takes. That was my Grant's I'm rant, good. so I'm good. <laughs> okay, rant. so we've got crickets in the audience, but hopefully, if you've stayed here throughout this entire um, process of this podcast, I'd like to thank you guys again for listening. Hopefully, hopefully the draft turns out well for the Raptors. You know, I'm just hoping they pick some good players because we're going to definitely need it down the road. But like always, this has been the NBA's most valuable podcast. Be sure to tune in next week when we cover free agency frenzy because the draft is going to be over as soon as we know on Wednesday. Then 48 hours later, we're headed straight into free agency. So expect some some more off-season content and some in-depth discussions on the NBA. But till then, we're out. Peace. Peace.